0: Oh man, are you glad you came to church today? Amen. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Dan's glad he's here. <clears throat> and that um, that song came out about ten years ago, um, right around the time I went through a freedom appointment with Dan, and. Um, went after sin and went after fear. I remember looking at a sheet of paper where I wrote down all my fears and I was like, I am a hot mess. (laughs) Is anyone else a hot mess in here or a room full of hot messes that are coming to seek refuge and strength and renewal in the Lord? Dan, I didn't even remember it, but Dan came up to me before the service and I had a vision from the Lord during that time of my freedom appointment, and um, right around the time I was identifying fears in my life and renouncing them and turning my gaze and my focus to Jesus, I I had this vision from the Lord that I was on an island by myself, and um, Jesus was on this boat, but in between me and Jesus, were waves and storm and predators. And um, and I walked out to him, he didn't just, he bid me come and I walked out to him past the predators on the waves, on the wind, and it wrecked me because I knew what the waves and the wind represented. Do you know what the waves and the wind represent for you today? Today, we're, in this, we're starting a series, and if I've not met you before, I'm John, I'm one of our pastors here, and I don't normally start a service with me crying up here or something like that. Um, but we're going into this series this summer called Adventure Is Out There. Do you believe God is calling you to a life of adventure? He is, if you don't believe it, I'm here to tell you today he is. He's calling you to a life of faith. He's calling you to a life sometimes of adversity, sometimes of suffering, sometimes of hardship, sometimes of really, really difficult, you know what actually Jesus calls us to? Dying to ourselves and being made alive in Christ Jesus, a life of adventure. God called Adam and Eve, to name and to multiply, to go. He called Abram to leave and to go to a new land. He called Moses to get up and go and lead the people of Israel out of bondage. He called David to fight, to lead as king. He called the prophets to speak. And he is calling his church over 150 times in the New Testament where we find the word go. We find it in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'm gonna be with you. Go, action. This last week, um, I just wanna celebrate uh, Bob Rogers and uh, Scott Dykstra and our team for, uh, for Love Our City, and we had three to 400 of you go out into our community, to serve, to love. Isn't that something to celebrate? Can we celebrate that? And maybe you were on vacation and you didn't get to do it. There's still some projects left over. So you don't get to get off scot-free, all right? So you can still be a part of it. We're still going. Uh, This weekend is a special weekend because we have um, our Greenhouse Collective here with us. And I, I, if, again, if you're newer to Impact, you might not know this about our story. Impact was planted 20 years ago and we set out with a vision to plant three churches in five years, 10 churches in 10 years. We started this uh, collective of church planters called Greenhouse. And we have been a part of literally dozens of church plants to multiply, to go because adventure is out there. It's on the move. God is on the move. His kingdom is constantly expanding and we want to be with him on mission. Uh, Dwayne is here and Rob and Corey, um, and they're the leaders. I don't know if they're around here. Is anyone, if you're a part of Greenhouse today and you're here visiting us, will you stand? There we go. Come on, let's give it up. Uh, Jason, our lead pastor met, I don't even know which one of you or someone that, um, I've not met this couple, um, but met a couple yesterday as Greenhouse was planning all of this multiplication and training. And um, they told Jason, they didn't even know where they're going to live next month. They're following the Holy Spirit. They're exploring, they're starting a new church. They're going right out into risk, right out into unknown. We honor that around here. Today, as we start our series, Adventures Out There, I wanna talk to you about fear. I wanna talk about, in my mind, one of the biggest obstacles, if not the biggest obstacle, to us trusting God and following Jesus into the unknown. It's a Disney song that just came to my head because of that right out into the sea, right out into the waters. So God, today, as we open up your word, as we open up Matthew 14, as we read from this story, this real, uh, this real life story of you interacting with the disciples 2000 years ago, as we, as we read this sacred text, your holy word, would you speak to us today? Would you challenge us in our own fears? Would you challenge us in our own places where we have not put full faith and trust in you, God? And would you draw us closer to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. In the fall of 1991, a cocktail of weather patterns produced a storm system, the likes of which is witnessed only every 100 years. That's super uncommon. About as uncommon as the lions. Hey, hey, hey. W- went. There was a cold weather pattern from Canada that swept eastward toward the Atlantic, actually across the Midwest, across the Great Lakes, it swept eastward toward the Atlantic and warm waters from the summer produced a hurricane out in the Atlantic. So it was in the fall, it was in October of 1991. While this is happening, a low pressure system off the coast of Nova Scotia created what is known as a nor'easter. Are you familiar with the storm called a nor'easter? It's actually in scripture. Paul talked about a nor'easter. Massive storm systems where the wind comes from out of the the northeast. And they're from this low, low pressurized system. I've been in on storms on the the Great Lakes on nor'easters. Have you been on these before? Have you seen them? I remember, so my family, we're actually going camping this weekend in Northern Ohio. And I've camped all my life on this island Uh, on Lake Erie, really close to Cedar Point. And I remember mid-90s, a nor'easter came in and it just stirred up fast. They turned really, really quick. They surprised people. And this nor'easter after a 24-hour period, I remember when everything uh, calmed down, when the storm went away, they found in this bay, in this small little bay, three sailboats that were beached. And they weren't just... Beached into the sand, they, this nor'easter wind pushed the sailboats into the trees. They were caught past the beach into the tree line. In fact, in 1991, this nor'easter actually absorbed the hurricane. The hurricane did not absorb the nor'easter. It absorbed the hurricane. That's how big this system is. The convergence of these two or three pressurized systems in the Atlantic on Halloween was dubbed by meteorologists as the perfect storm. We've got a picture here of the Doppler. You can see the hurricane. You can't see the other pressurized systems converging at the same time. Hollywood picked up the story several years later and George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg starred in, a, in the movie, The Perfect Storm. Where the a- Andrea Gale, where there were several, um, there was a, a crew of fishermen that went out onto th- the waters of the North Atlantic to fish and got caught right in the middle of this trifecta of pressurized systems. Now in this picture depicting the storm, it seems like uh, this is um, almost fantastical like, ah, the waves probably really weren't that big. They have record, the meteorologists though, they have record from the buoys and from their other measuring systems that the waves were on average during the storm. They were 40 feet in height during this storm. Now I asked Chris German, our facilities manager, how tall is the ceiling in this room? It's about 25 feet to the ceiling. So we add another 15 feet. Those were the average waves. There was a buoy off the coast of Nova Scotia that measured one of the waves as a record breaking wave for the Northern Atlantic. And it was a hundred feet. Four times this ceiling. You feel like an ant? You feel small? Some, Some pictures, this was the most iconic picture from the movie where the Andrea Gale was flipped end over end by this behemoth of a wave. None survived in this story. What do you do when you face a storm of this magnitude? Some of you right now, you're facing storms of this magnitude. Your marriage is falling apart. You lost your job. Your kids are wayward. You're not sure what to do. Students, You had a breakup that just wrecked your heart, wrecked your life. You're struggling with some kind of sin, some kind of pornography, no one else knows about it. And and you're facing the storm and all you see is a wall of a wave. And this is how you feel. Uh, This is, right, Clooney and Wahlberg. This is what, I mean, you're screaming, you're afraid, you're gritting your teeth. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna survive? In the promotion for the movie, the flyer said this, in the fall of 1991, the Andrea Gale left Gloucester, Massachusetts and headed for the fishing grounds of the North Atlantic. Two weeks later, an event took place that had never occurred in recorded history. The perfect convergence of three pressurized systems. There's uh, approximately an estimated 3 million shipwrecks on the ocean floor today. Three million. Millions of lives consumed by the ocean. The ancients were most afraid of the ocean. In fact, the ocean or the sea represented chaos. It actually represents chaos all throughout scripture. We're, we're gonna read a text today and maybe instead of reading in waves or water, you read right into the text, read the word chaos when it says the waves, read chaos. Peter walks out onto the chaos. Jesus walks onto the chaos. They're surrounded by chaos. In Genesis chapter one, the spirit of the Lord hovered over what is chaos. In, in scripture and actually uh, in scripture, Not only did water represent chaos, it represented evil. It was unknown. Job talked about these creatures in the water, Leviathan. In Ecclesiastes, the author talks about sending your grain out across the chaos, the water, and this is risk. Estimated 3,000 vessels have sunk on the Great Lakes. Uh, about 1,500 of which are on Michigan waters. Matthew chapter 14 is where we're gonna be reading from today. I want you to put yourself in the story of the text. I want you to identify with the characters of scripture. We believe here at Impact that this is God's holy word, that it's inspired, that it's true. These aren't just stories, this isn't like a bedtime story. This isn't fiction. These are real, real people, real men and women, the real son of God who came to earth to show us the way to live, to teach us how to follow God and to die our death on a cross for us so we can have freedom. In Matthew chapter 14, he's, he's uh, interacting with his disciples And he's doing so out on the water, out on the chaos. If you have your Bibles, you can open there. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray by himself. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Buffeted by the chaos because it was against it. Now context here in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus and the disciples are just coming off of a pretty awesome day, an exhausting day, but an an incredible kind of like a high, high a mountaintop moment. Uh, the disciples have just watched Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 14 feed 5,000 people. And really estimates uh, are, are, are that it's actually way more than 5,000, it's probably more like 15 to 20,000. They likely only counted the men. And so Jesus feeds 15 to 20,000 people. The disciples took part in this miracle. And uh, in the book of John, the same miracle is recorded. And the people were so taken with Jesus that they wanted to make him king right then on the spot. So Jesus is like, this isn't my time. This isn't what I came for. I didn't actually come to be an actually er an earthly king. I came to be a spiritual uh, universal king over sin and over death to put Satan in his place. You're. You're not thinking correctly. So Jesus is like, we've got to get out of here. So it says in the text, immediately Jesus made, he forced the disciples to get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd and he goes up on a mountaintop to pray. Have you ever felt like God sent you out on a boat by yourself into the wind and the waves and you felt kind of like, left alone. I've heard this so many times as a pastor, like where is God in the middle of this? What did he do? It feels like God abandoned me. He sent me right out by myself into this boat and there's wind and there's waves. I'm taking on water. I'm about to go down to the depths and Jesus is over here just praying up on the mountaintop. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Jesus over here having a good time, a peaceful time. We're out here doing the real work. In fact, it says um, in the text, they went went in the evening at the very end of the day. And it says that that Jesus um, comes out to them um, in the fourth watch of the night. The boat was a considerable distance from land, literally meaning many stadia. It's a Greek word, stadia is two, uh, 200 yards. So there's many hundred yards. They're likely out into the middle of the lake, far from land, far from safety. And the boat is getting beat down by waves. The word here, the wind was against it, is literally like the wind was an adversary. It was an antagonist. Not only was the wind blowing against them, I think this word here is used to represent a whole lot more than just the wind was against it. It it was the adversary. Do you have adversary in your life? you have contrarian people in contrary events to what you're trying to do? I do, every day, every week. The disciples go right out into the middle of the wind and the waves. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. We already, we, I just mentioned that shortly before dawn, this is the fourth in, the, in Roman time period. They broke up the night into four different time periods. There were watches of the night. We don't do this today but it says in the text that it was in the fourth watch of the night. So the first watch is two to three hours in length. The second one, two to three hours in length. The third one, two to three hours in length and the fourth one. So this is in between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. These guys are dog tired. They've been rowing right into the wind, into the waves all night long. Jesus goes out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now this is a story that like, a lot of us who've, who've been in church for a while, we just are familiar with this story. And those of us who haven't been in church much, you might be familiar with this story too. It's kind of like a David and Goliath type of story. Like people were, oh yeah, when Jesus, Jesus walked on water. And sometimes we become so familiar with scripture that we miss the the spectacular nature of the event. This is Jesus, a human being walking on water. And this water is not glassy smooth. I love skiing and I love skiing on a lake where it's just like, just crystal, you know, it's like, it's glassy. This is not glassy. The wind is agitated. The waves are large. I don't know, one to three footers, four to foot, The swell. I picture Jesus walking. Jesus isn't like walking on these waves. He's like, he's getting over the other one. And he's, he's scaling these waves. And the disciples say the only thing that makes sense, it's a ghost. I don't know what you'd think if you're out on a lake and you see a person walking to you. Your your faculties don't know how to make sense of it because no one has ever walked on the water before this. And from my understanding, no one's walked on the water since this. This is a really, really unique moment. It doesn't make sense. It breaks all kinds of natural, physic laws. Jesus is walking on the water and they cry out in fear. Are you, are you afraid of stuff? I think most of our fears, a lot of our fears come from things that surprise us and that catch us off guard. Like on, online, there's this there's kind of new um, craze or reels and memes will have this new fear unlocked um, line. And uh, just a few weeks ago, just a few weeks ago, I had a new fear unlocked in my house. And um, we were getting the kids ready for bed. And we noticed, so Easton, my youngest, he's brushing his teeth, doing all the things that we do to get ready for bed. And I noticed, we noticed on his eye, just this little tiny black dot, little tiny black dot. We're like, we're getting closer, we're inspecting. I mean, literally like the, like the head of a little pin. And we get a little closer and um, it's a tick on his eyelash. Have you ever had a tick on your eyelash? Some of you maybe have before. That's freaky, new fear unlocked. All of a sudden, I'm going to bed, I go through my routine, use the restroom, I brush my teeth and I check my eyelashes now. <laughs> All of the sudden, I've never checked my eyelashes. Now I'm checking my eyelashes because I've seen a tick on someone's eyelash. Scrolling through a reel this last week and I see uh, this little clip of a spider crawling out of a woman's ear. Don't like spiders, don't want them in my ears. All of the sudden, new fear unlocked. This week, the tragedy out in the North Atlantic with the submarine, I love water. I love water, I love boating, I love exploring. I've actually wanted to go on a submarine someday. I don't think I want to now. N- new fear unlocked. This tragedy of, fo- of these lives lost. All of a sudden, the knowledge, the surprise of seeing the ghost on the water the surprise of seeing the tick on the eyelash. The surprise of being caught off guard. The surprise of failing when you thought that you were going to succeed. Boom, new fear unlocked. The surprise of getting handed, actually I had this, of getting handed divorce papers and yeah, you didn't see it coming. Boom, new fear unlocked. The surprise of hearing that the person that you love or this this friend, one of your closest friends has gone behind your back, started rumors about you, boom, new fear unlocked, and all of a sudden, I don't trust people anymore. All of a sudden, I I gotta, I'm, I'm gonna hide. I'm gonna run away. I'm not doing that again. I want you to hear these words if that's you. And I think for the most part, I think it's probably all of us on some level. If that's you, listen to these words from Matthew 14, the next part of our story, Matthew 14, 27. But Jesus, so they've cried out in fear, it's a ghost. And then fear sets in, they're terrified. And Jesus says, immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage is the first thing that he says. You know what, you know how you get courage? You don't get courage naturally. How many, I mean, does anyone in this room, do you get courage naturally? We don't get courage naturally, you get courage by taking it. You gotta go after it. You have to pursue it, it's not easy. It's hard, it takes resilience. It takes some grit, it takes some determination to be courageous. It takes people around you saying, hey, you can do this. You've got this. Don't let fear get in the way of that. Pursue that dream. Pursue that calling. Be obedient to what Jesus is calling you to do. Even when no one else is doing, take courage. The next thing that Jesus says is it is I, and I'm gonna come back to that one last. The third thing he says is don't be afraid. We see all through scripture, so many different places in scripture literally some theologians say several several hundred places in scripture where God says don't fear don't be afraid don't be afraid be courageous the problem for most of us is that there is a massive gap between our being afraid and the courage that we want to take a hold of do you know what i'm talking about and right in the middle of the gap jesus says it is I. Now, I've, I've studied uh, scripture for years and, and I have never found this little nugget from scripture that I did as I was studying this week. This is why I love God's word. It's living and active. It surprises me. Back in the Old Testament, no, Moses, or so I'm gonna rewind before I get to the thing that Jesus said. Back in the Old Testament, Moses is about to, Take, uh, take on this mantle of going into Egypt and saying to Pharaoh, hey, I'm speaking on behalf of God. And God said, let my people go. And so Moses has this encounter at the burning bush with the Lord and the Lord calls him. And Moses says to God, he's like, now I don't, I don't even know who you are. What's your name? I'm gonna come back and be like, so you're not gonna believe this guy's a bush talked to me. The bush said, you gotta get out of here. We're not following a bush. They don't even know, he's like, who are you? And God says to him, tell them, I am that I am. Or I will be that which I will be, I am. Yahweh, the one who was and is and is to come. In the book of John, there's seven classic statements where Jesus makes I am statements, where Jesus essentially declares to the people, I am Yahweh, I am God, I am the I am. And some people call him blasphemous because they're like, no, there's only one God. he's like, I am that God. I am the anointed one, I am the Messiah. And so Jesus says in the book of John, they're pretty classic ones, and they're really obvious ones. They're like, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life, I'm the living water. I am the good shepherd, the sheep know my voice. I've never known Mark chapter 14, the text that we're in, to be one of these I am statements until this week. This translation, our English translations, don't do it justice. Really how this should read is this. Take courage. I am. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am, don't be afraid. You see, of most of these other I am statements throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying that he is a shepherd or he is the way or he's the truth. And this one, he's not saying that he is something except that he is the middle. He is the bridge between your fear and courage. Somebody needs to hear this today because you're like, I don't know how to take a hold of courage. I am. I don't know how to get rid of fear and get over there. I am. I don't know how to... how to kill those, the lizard brain and to, to fight through all of those things that are so debilitating for me, I am. Jesus, smack dab in the middle of your fear and the courage that you need. Louis Giglio put it this way in a book that he wrote, <clears throat> I am not, but I know I am. He, he said it this way. He said, you know, my marriage is failing. Can anybody help? I am. Nobody sees me. Nobody is listening. I am. What if I fail and let everyone down? I am. I'm so lonely. So lonely, I just don't know where to turn. I am. Can I ever overcome this addiction? I am. See church, Jesus is that bridge Right in between, all of your fears. Some of them are hidden. Some people. Some of them. No one has, You've never even talked to anyone about. And the courage that you want to take a hold of. In my family, we're um, we're uh, big cartoon fans. <laughs> cartoon fans out there, love animated movies. One of our favorites is the movie Inside Out. Came out several years ago from Disney Pixar. And in it, they kind of depict uh, the behind the scenes of what's happening in this girl's head. And so the main characters are core emotions, joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. When they were promoting the movie, they had this little video about fear um, being in control. Check this out. Ever wonder why you feel the way you do? will get to know your emotions. When the unexpected is staring you in the face, fear is there to keep you safe. With speed and wisdom, fear assesses the situation and settles your nerves in his own special way. He's got this. Thank you, fear. Get to know all your emotions with Disney Pixar's Inside Out, rated PG. I love that. I mean, does anyone feel that? You know, thank you, fear. For just totally screwing everything up, pushing all the panic buttons and, you know, catastrophizing and making everything a big deal. Thank you, fear. I was looking up this week at some of the biggest fears, um, uh, some of the most common fears in the United States, and I wanna give you the top seven aviophobia, fear of flying. 14% of Americans. How many of you are afraid of flying out there? Well, not 14% of you, all right. Number six, claustrophobia, fear of being enclosed with no way out. Where are my claustrophobic people? Wow, okay, all right. 17%. Trypanophobia, fear of medical procedures involving blood like shots or injections. Anyone out there with me? Oh my word. Why am I so afraid of getting shots? My wife guys my wife is a nurse and no joke this was about 5 6 years ago I had to go in to the office where my wife works to get a tetanus shot to get the booster. I go in and I'm psyching myself out. It's going I'm John, you've got this. You're a grown man. <laughs> you're, you're a grown You're um you're a man, all right? I'm having, to, I'm having to tell myself that I'm a man. You know it's bad when you're telling yourself you're a man. I go in there, the nurse, uh, you know, she's talking to me, trying to distract me. I'm like, Just get the thing. She, um, she gives me the shot. It's not a big deal. They don't even hurt that bad. I, they, I know it. I know they don't hurt that bad, but I'm psyching myself out. She gives me the shot. I was like, all right. That's good, thank you. Um, and she looks at me with kind of wide eyes. She goes, John, are you, are you feeling okay? Like, yeah, yeah, why? You look really pale. <laughs> I'm like, oh, um, she's like, I'm, I want you to sit here. I'm gonna go get you a cookie and some juice. <laughs> I'm like, can you give me a stick or two? Maybe a little sucker. I mean, what in the world? Demoralizing. Man. Aquaphobia, fear of bodies of water, 19%. Where are my people out there? Zoophobias, fear of animals, 22% of Americans, particularly spiders, snakes, and dogs. Spiders, snakes, dogs. Okay. All right, some of you are like, I'm not afraid of anything. Acrophobia, fear of heights. Ooh, ooh, okay. And the number one, glossophobia, fear of public speaking. Where are my people? Who wants to take the mic, anyone? <laughs> some of you wanna, yeah. You know what, I really wish I had some statistics on that's hard to really even measure. like. What about fears that are a little more hidden? It's, it's easy for us to identify these and be like, just don't climb high things. I just, am not gonna go, you know, I'm gonna avoid some spiders. Um, I'm not gonna get out on a lake because I'm afraid of that. But there's, there are some that are far more insidious and far more debilitating, far more nuanced, like fear of failure. How about, Fear of letting the person down that is sitting next to you right now. And all of a sudden you obsess over pleasing people around you so much that you've made them into an idol. You can't even focus on anything other than the fear of letting someone down. First John 4.18, John, one of the apostles, one of the disciples that was on this boat, he experienced these things with Jesus. He says, there's no fear in love. When Jesus told us, don't be afraid, I am. And Jesus was essentially saying, put your trust in me. He said, John now says years later, there's no fear in love. Perfect love from God, it actually drives out fear. It has no place. They don't live in the same building because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect. In love, I want us to finish up here with the rest of the story in Matthew chapter 14. And I want to make some observations. We're going to do kind of like a Bible study where we're going to make observations from the text. And then we're going to draw some principles for our lives from God's word. Matthew 14, 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replies, tell me to come to you on the water. Now I want you, as we're reading through this text to make some observations, to read this with me critically and take note of things, underline things, highlight things even in your head. Tell me to come to you on the water, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Some observations from Matthew 14 about pressing through fear to a life of adventure. The first observation is this from this part of our story. Peter tests the Lord, asking him to tell Peter to come. The principle is this, God actually invites us. He invites people through his word to test him. Uh, God did this in conversation with Moses. He did this in conversation with Gideon. He did this in the Psalms with David and the other psalmists. He did this with uh, Elijah and he did this with the prophets and he does this with Peter and he does this with the disciples and he invites us to say, Jesus, do you dare me to, to come to you? And Jesus is like, I double dog dare you. Jesus invites us for this interactive type of relationship. First observation. Second, Jesus invites Peter to join him in the miraculous. So Peter, the first observation, Peter tests Jesus and then Jesus tests Peter. He invites Peter into the miraculous. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus invites the disciples. It says in the text earlier in the chapter, when they feed 5,000 people, it says that the disciples helped divide people into groups and then they help disperse the food. And the disciples are a part of the miraculous. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends the disciples out to do miracles. Jesus invites into the miraculous. Jesus dares us to join him. He dares us to join him in what he's doing. Peter did observation three. Peter did what Jesus did. This is incredible. The only person other than the son of God manifest in human form, the only other person to walk on water is Peter. Peter does what Jesus does. In fact, Jesus says to the disciples, when he talks about him leaving this earth, he says, I I will send to you one who will come alongside you, a paraclete, an advocate, a helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit has multiple names. And he says, "And, and, and with him, you will do greater things than I. That's amazing. We have the same power. This is the principle from this part of the text. We have the same power in us that raised Jesus from the dead. We can walk on water with Jesus into the unknown right over the wind and the waves. Observation four. The wind and waves keep coming. Now, I want to camp out here for a second because I really think that some of you need this theologically. You've bought into a theology that if you pray hard enough, God will stop the wind and the waves. If you believe big enough, God will take away the thing that is hurting you or the adversity that you're experiencing. And there are certainly miracles in the, in the New Testament. There's another time where Jesus is on the boat with the disciples and they go and wake him up because he's asleep at the bottom of the boat and there's this wind, another storm. And Jesus just, he doesn't ask anyone to take any risk of getting out of the boat. He's just like, peace, be still, the wind and the waves die down and it's all good. But there are other miracles where Jesus is like, listen, you're actually gonna come out of the boat. I'm inviting you to, I'm not calming the wind and the waves. They keep coming. Church, the principle is this, the miracles don't always remove obstacles. They allow us to stand in the midst of them. Peter, it dawned on me in this text as we're reading it, the wind and the waves don't die down until Jesus and Peter get back on the boat. So Peter gets out into these waves, and he's scaling them to come to Jesus, and the wind is still coming, and the obstacles are still there, and somehow we've bought into a theology in 21st century America that when we follow Jesus, it's going to be all hunky-dory, and it's going to be easy, and he didn't promise us that. In fact, he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Keep doing it. Keep pressing through fear. I'm not gonna take away all of the obstacles. I'm gonna teach you how to walk in spite of them, to walk right on top of them. The wind and the waves keep coming. We meet as a staff meeting uh, as a staff every couple of weeks. Recently, Chris German was talking, sharing from his heart. And he said, you know, it's really hard to keep putting yourself out there. I love that line. He's like, it's hard for me to keep putting myself out there because when I see that things aren't getting easier, when putting myself out there means more risk and, and the risk didn't pan out. I failed or I fell on my face or someone didn't respond the way I wanted them to. It's hard to keep putting yourself out there. John Ortberg wrote a book about 10 years ago. And, this, and it was on this text. It said, if you want to walk on water, you've gotta get out of the boat. Said, you gotta get out of your comfort zone and face those fears. And he talked about resiliency in this part of the book. And he said, this resilient people have a larger than usual capacity for what might be called moral courage. For refusing to betray their values. Resilient people find purpose and meaning in their suffering. Viktor Frankl in his book, A Man's Search for Meeting. Victor Frankl was a Jewish man who survived Nazi concentration camps. And he wrote this in A Man's Search for Meeting. We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken away from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's way. The way in which a man accepts his fate and all the suffering that it it entails, the way in which he takes up his cross, gives him ample Opportunity, even in the most difficult circumstances, to add a deeper meaning to his life. Observation five Peter becomes afraid when he shifts his focus from Jesus to the storm. What stands in the way of you in adventure? Mostly fear. Observation six is similar to it. Peter's fixation and, and fear of the wind causes. Him to sink. The principle, fixing our eyes on our fear will sink our faith. Fixing our eyes on Jesus increases our faith. It's interesting to me about this part of the story as I was reading through the text and as I'm reading it with curiosity rather than with my own perspectives into it. As I'm reading it with curiosity, I see this um, that Peter sees. The wind, and he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. When he saw the wind, is that unusual to anyone else? Can you see wind? You don't see wind, you see the effects of wind, you see. The, the dirt and the matter spiraling in a cyclone, you see the effects of a tornado. You don't see the wind of the tornado. You see its effects. You, you don't, you see the, the trees being bent and being swayed in the wind and the force of the gale. You see that, you see the leaves, you see the trees, you see the water white capping. You don't see the wind. You see the effects of the wind. Man, it's just so easy for us to catastrophize like what Peter did and you see the thing and then you make it bigger and then you make it bigger and you make it bigger and you make it bigger and And you're seeing, you're starting to see things that you're not even seeing, you're seeing the effects of those things rather than seeing Jesus. And does anyone else get distracted by the things and get our attention and our focus off Jesus? Fixing our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, increases our faith. Number seven, Peter cries out and Jesus responds, I love this word in the text, immediately. Jesus responds immediately. I love that Jesus is not punitive. He's not a a punitive God. So as Peter is sinking, he's not like, I'm gonna teach this boy a lesson and let him, you're gonna get a couple gulps of water first, and then I'll catch you out of here. Jesus responds immediately. Like when we turn to Jesus, when we cry out to him, even though he challenges our presuppositions and our paradigms, he still responds to us as the good shepherd with care. Does anyone love that today? He responds immediately is even when we lack faith, even when we choose poorly, even when we fly off the handle, even when we're sinking because of our own doing, even then Jesus responds immediately. When we begin to lose faith, turning away from Jesus isn't the answer. Turning to him is, he can handle it and he responds. He will respond. Last observation from the text, you have little faith, why do you doubt? Jesus doesn't excuse our fear and lack of faith, even though he loves us in it. Jesus isn't like, okay, I saved you. I challenged you. You came and walked out on the water and now you're sinking and I'm gonna save you. And then I'm just gonna let it all go. Jesus challenges this. And I wish we had the rest of the conversation. I would love to hear what Peter said. I'd love to hear some of the excuses that probably you and I come up with every day. Well, Jesus, you don't see, did you see that wave? That was a big wave, bro. I I mean, you didn't get hit with the way that I got hit with. I mean, we come up with all these kinds of excuses. I would love to see the rest of the story. Jesus challenges our lack of faith. He gets all up in our grill and we don't like this in our culture. We don't like people telling us that we're wrong. We don't like people telling us that we have sin. We don't like people challenging us. But I'm telling you all throughout scripture, all throughout the early church, that's what the church does for each other. Jason preached about it last week, an iron sharpening iron. That can be a painful process. Church today, I want you to get out of the boat. I don't know what the adventure is for you. I don't know what the fears are that are in the way of you living out a life of faith, but you know them. And Jesus knows them and he's calling you, he's bidding you to come right out of the boat into the fear and the chaos of the water. So God, today, would you give us strength to get out of the boat? Bid us come and give us faith. Give us faith to believe. Give us faith that even in the obstacles, even in the chaos, even in the confusion, even in the adversity, God, that we would believe in you, that we would cast off those fears because of perfect love from you and believe you. God, give us faith today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you need to pray. Right after the service, we got a prayer team up here that's, that would love to pray with you. You're dismissed at this time. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.